Welcome to the Culture Happens podcast, where we discuss the future of work and company culture. My name's Vinny, and I'm a campus recruiter on HubSpot's campus recruiting team, a team of recruiters that helps students get a start to their careers through internships, co-ops, and full-time opportunities at HubSpot. Today, we're going to talk about a new experience for all of us, which is remote internships. At HubSpot, our internship and co-op program is a key ingredient in how we deliver our mission of helping millions of organizations grow better. Interns and co-ops, for example, have the same opportunity to make an impact on our customers as our full-time employees do, which we're so excited by. For example, on the product and engineering team, interns and co-ops typically ship code to production within their very first week. So with that kind of autonomy, students have true ownership over core projects, and because of that, we value the perspectives and new skills that they bring to HubSpot. But admittedly, this year looked a bit different. Instead of first day activities of getting an office tour and having lunch with fellow interns and co-ops as you do, onboarding and meet and greets happened virtually. But luckily, HubSpot isn't a stranger to remote work. We have over 400 full-time remote employees, and as of early March, all 3,600 HubSpot employees have been required to work from home globally. And thanks to HubSpot's flexible culture, an amazing IT team, and collaboration tools like Zoom, Slack, Loom, and Confluence, we've been able to adapt to remote work pretty quickly, especially with our first ever remote intern and co-op class. And some quick background on our class, HubSpot's summer 2020 class of interns and co-op is about 90 students strong across our general administrative teams, product and engineering, marketing, sales, and people operations globally. And for us, we contacted students early on to let them know that we were moving forward with their internship and co-op program this summer and that they'd be fully remote while offices were closed. And based on our recent experience, there are some key differences both on the employer and intern slash co-op side to create a successful remote internship experience, which we're so excited to dive into. And for our conversation today, I'm lucky to be joined by two remarkable people, Troy Cassidy, an intern on our HubSpot's diversity, inclusion, and belonging team working from Wyoming, and Tori Goyette, Senior Community Manager at Hack Diversity, working from Boston. Welcome to you both to Culture Happens. And Troy, I think because you're right in front of me here, I wanted to see if we could start with you to have you introduce yourselves to our listeners uh, and tell us a little bit more about what you're studying um, and how you found HubSpot for your internship. Yeah, thank you for the warm welcome, Vinny. It's so great to be here. Um, I, my name is Troy Cassidy. I am studying uh, management and marketing at the University of Wyoming. Um, and I absolutely love it, but I wanted to kind of find an experience outside of Wyoming just so that way I could um, kind of expand my horizons a little bit and just see what other opportunities there are outside of Wyoming. And so I ultimately looked on the East Coast and I found HubSpot um, while searching, honestly, just Indeed. I found um, HubSpot and I applied and I'm so thankful that I um, got accepted and went forward with the interview because uh, it's seriously such a, a great company to work for and I'm, we can do cool things like this. So uh, thanks for having me. Troy, it's awesome to have you on the team, and the fact that you found us all the way from Wyoming, we're honored that you were able to discover us from so far. Uh, so happy to have you on the team. And Tori, I know that we've worked together in a lot of different capacities, so I would love for you to give our listeners some background on Hack Diversity in particular and your role there as well. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Tori Goyette, and my role with Hack Diversity is Senior Community Manager. And Hack Diversity is a talent provider program out of the New England Venture Capital Association. So our mission is to make Boston a more diverse and prosperous place. So specifically, we focus on bringing Black and Latinx technologists into the space for their first internships in tech. So we work with software engineers, data analysts, 
IT professionals and UX UI folks to help them with professional development, mentorship, and really just access into uh, the really flourishing Boston tech community. So we've been around for going into our fifth year of fellowship programming and HubSpot has been a great partner to us. Right now we have two fellows in the middle of their internships, one on the IT team and one in the software engineering. Both are very, very happy to be there this summer. Um, but specifically my role is focused on the fellowship program itself. So I work with our 75 fellows to make sure that they feel well supported and are going through our programming and really driving towards being ready to start an internship in the summer. So they're up and running right now and that's awesome. And prior to my time with Hack Diversity, I was at Year Up, which is another workforce development and job placement program. So this is roughly my, I think, sixth year of supporting folks into their first internship. So always very excited to talk about what it means to set someone up for success in an internship environment. Amazing, and you've worked with so many employers too. So very excited to have your perspective here too. So Troy and Tori, so happy to have you on today's conversation. And we've got a lot to talk about today. So why don't we jump in and first start with some of the basics uh, that we really need to consider for a successful remote experience, as this is the first of its kind that we've uh, had to see. So the first for sure is definitely communication, and the second is technology. And when we think about both of those things, they're both heavily relied on uh, when it comes to remote work. Um, and they're even more important for those who may not have worked in a professional setting before. So a lot of new territory to talk about here. So why don't we first uh, dive into communication? Because um, I know for us, uh, we're, we're thinking about communication in the sense of how do we set expectations between managers and interns and all the other nuances that come with that. And so, um, and we've got a lot of perspective here from Tori with your experience with employers and Troy as an intern working remotely as well. And so, um, Troy, why don't we first kind of throw it to you to talk about like, how is communication important for you in a setting like this? Yeah, I think communication is crucial, not only in person, but in a setting that's remote and virtual because you don't have those, those experiences and those um, communication patterns that you would in person. So just making sure that you utilize technology to, um, to communicate and to effectively um, come across like different ideas, different perspectives. Um, this can be anything just from day-to-day -day experiences for interns, but it can also be um, onboarding and how do you, and how do you train employees? Um, it can be literally the whole experience has to be well communicated. And so just making sure that you utilize technology to do so, I think is super important. And if you're ever, um, cautious or are curious about like how much communication is important. I think overly communicating in a remote and virtual setting is um, necessary. And I don't think there is ever such a thing as too much communication. And Troy, when you think about your experience, you're based in Wyoming while your manager directly is based out of Boston. And so what's that like? How often do you communicate? Like, do you communicate frequently? Maybe do you uh, communicate less? Like, what's that like? Yeah, totally. Great question. Um, honestly, we utilize Slack a lot. And so we communicate quite a bit. Um, we utilize Slack just for short messages, messages back and forth, or we'll, um, we have weekly one-on-ones where we'll talk about um, various projects that I'm working on and just catch up. We also have documents where we'll have all of the projects listed out and then we'll go through and like um, add those uh, different person um, uh, contacts that like who's doing what and what deadlines do I have. And so I think like I mentioned a little bit before, uh, overly communicating is super, super important. And I, I think that in a remote setting, um, especially coming from Wyoming, it's, it's, it's crucial. 
Especially because you're also in a different time zone from your manager too, which adds another barrier, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. And Tori, I know you work with a number of employers and also support managers at these employers too. So what's your experience when it comes to uh, how interns and managers communicate with each other? Absolutely. I would 100% echo Troy's comment about needing to kind of over communicate or do more than you think is appropriate. One of the things I've been thinking about quite a bit as we've shifted to remote is how much of your communication in a new environment, when you're taking in so much data and so much information all the time, how much of that is nonverbal communication, just seeing and observing the things that happen around you and feeling the norms in a meeting and coming to understand what your office culture is like. So when you remove that, then there's this huge gap of how you learn information. And so for that reason, I think managers and employees need to be really thoughtful about saying, okay, I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to support my intern. I'm trying to be a great intern and, and really stating those things and saying, what do you need from me? Am I meeting expectations? Or from the manager perspective saying, here are my expectations of you and what can I do to make sure that this is working? Uh, we talk a lot about making the implicit explicit. So some of the things in a workplace are often implicit norms that you just come to feel and experience over time. But when you're remote, there's this digital wall between you and some of those things don't flow quite as naturally or easily. So I think being aware of that both as an intern and as a manager helped to kind of drive increased conversation. And Troy mentioned this as well, but I think we at Hack are huge proponents of creating some really solid, usable take home things for managers to feel well supported on uh, taking in a new intern. So one-to-ones, Troy mentioned, we are constantly hammering home with employers. Please make sure you prioritize these meetings. They're the easiest thing to cancel. It's someone you don't know very well. They're not going to be around very long, but it really is so critical to a successful experience that they're talking regularly. And then setting really clear goals. So communicating upfront, this is what success looks like over the course of this internship. Uh, Hack uses a 30-60-90 model, which I think a lot of companies are, are big fans of, but we talk a lot about how having really clear requirements help to make sure that an environment is really inclusive and allows an intern to know, I can be myself, I can bring my personality, I can come from a different background because it is very clear to me on paper what is expected of me and required for success. But when those things aren't clearly outlined, you don't really know, am I allowed to talk like this? Am I allowed to have a conversation with my manager in an informal way? Am I allowed to go to these events? So I think communication is not only important in the like interpersonal sense, how you chat, but also in how you're writing down, documenting, and clarifying what the expectations and norms are throughout the process. A plus one to that, I essentially agree with your sentiment about supporting managers in particular, because as a first-time manager myself, my first ever direct report is actually uh, one of our current remote interns, and I will be very honest, I was very afraid about how I was going to interact with my intern, because one, I'd never managed before, and two, are they going to feel supported? Are they going to feel connected to me? Are they going to feel comfortable talking to me because of the barriers that you mentioned? And so a lot of that was very key and uh, top of mind for me in terms of how do I make sure I'm not only communicating, but also creating an environment that's going to help them feel supported. And so a lot of that, we're saying some of the work is on the interim, but I think it's more so on managers in particular. Um, and so I love that that's a call out that you had. And for both you, Troy and Tori, when you think about managers supporting interns in a remote setting, uh, do you feel like it's a little bit different in a remote setting in that 
there's even more work involved nowadays or do we feel like it's about the same? Like what's kind of your perspective there? That's a great question. And I think it's so easy to think about an intern coming in as someone who can support and add value to the work that your team is doing. And so that dynamic creates this hope that an intern is coming in and helping you with work. And so you don't often as a manager think this is more work that I am taking on and for what purpose. But I think it's really, really important, especially in a remote environment for managers to thoughtfully assess within their teams do I, as a manager, have capacity to make this a great experience for an intern? Because it is work. And to your point, I do think it is more work in a remote environment because some of the things that we rely on, like being able to just sit next to someone at the desk and pull up some files for them or do something over someone's shoulder, have them shadow you as you're walking through something, those things take a lot more coordination or are not really possible. So that means you need to have all the files ready to share, you need thorough onboarding plans, you need to create space in your calendar for um, that kind of pair activities and helping them to meet more people in your organization. And so all that stuff ultimately does take time. And I like to think that the payout is really valuable. That if you put in that front end effort at the beginning of an internship to set up an intern for success, you end up, if not, creating someone who wants to ultimately stay and work on your team, at least someone who feels like they had a really great experience with that internship and would recommend the company to someone else or would speak favorably about that internship program, which can later build a really strong pipeline. So I do like to kind of coach managers that they should see it as at least as much their responsibility to create a great experience, if not more than the intern, but hopefully with some great payout at the end. Right. And I, I know that kind of sounds scary, putting a lot of work on managers, but I think what also is a great support to managers too, is having teams at their support as well. I know for us at HubSpot, had it not been for the collaboration of multiple teams, we wouldn't have, have had the ability to create the experience that we have right now and have people really thinking about what are the things we need to cover uh, to, yes, not only make sure managers are supported and have the resources they need, but that interns feel supported from a technology standpoint, from a culture standpoint, and even from the logistical things like uh, how do we handle tax implications for people working in different states, which is something I never thought we had to think about. So um, I think a lot of that collaboration really plays a role here too, uh, so that managers don't have to feel the 100% uh, impact of this um, experience. So, uh, and Troy, you mentioned a little bit earlier about technology playing a role as well uh, into your experience. And as Tori, you mentioned uh, having someone next to you, it's really easy to just feel a part of a group and an environment when you just have someone next to you. But now that you're, now that we're all remote and all by our lonesomes, it's really hard to understand like what is the technology that we have uh, to help us stay connected. And I mentioned earlier that we had tools like Zoom, Loom, Slack that enable us to do that. But um, one of the things that we really tend to forget is that sometimes exposure to those tools is not very frequent. It's, it's sometimes an entrance first time using that type of technology. So um, what are our thoughts about how employers uh, should be teaching technology to interns and, um, and on the intern side, like how do we support them um, from that frame? Yeah, thanks, Vinny. That's a really great question. I think it's super important um, technology, obviously, like we mentioned for communication. And so really just acting like it's I think what's important is to act like it's the intern's first time using the technology. Um, I think for me personally, I've never used Slack before, before we came in. And so learning the ins and outs of Slack and the basics, I think that was super crucial for me just to get to get to know what um, communication patterns are like at HubSpot. And I think that's also been um, something that HubSpot's been continuing to grow as well, because from the sounds of it, 
um, Slack has kind of grown over time as we went remote just because um, we don't have those in-person communication patterns. <clears throat> but not even just Slack, it can be things like Zoom. Perhaps someone doesn't know how to jump on that first Zoom call. So providing a guide beforehand so that they can jump on the Zoom call to learn other technology or and forms of it, I think is super important. Just really providing all the resources available or making them available so that way the interns are prepared because you never truly know um, what backgrounds they come from or what um, kind of things they've learned before prior to this internship. Agreed. And I think the training and onboarding, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, really plays a role in setting that up very upfront. Um, but Tori, what are you seeing in terms of other companies uh, and employers and how do they kind of approach technology here? Definitely. I think one of the things I'm observing that's such an interesting part of this move to remote is that the folks who are onboarding new talent are also learning how to use this technology full time because previously we all sort of used it as a supplement to our day-to-day -day work, not as entirely critical to our day-to-day -day work. So there's a little bit of a learning curve where folks are trying to onboard new interns or new hires and they themselves aren't yet experts in the tools because we're all figuring out Zoom. I, I honestly was laughing with my team this week because we finally got a response to our Zoom help questions that we posed in March, <laughs> in June. <laughs> so like there's a major lag. And if you can imagine, we're getting to know Zoom, asking them all these questions and then having to teach that to other people while we're still figuring it out. That's a real challenge. So I would echo everything Troy said and also just kind of taking it upon ourselves to be patient as we learn it and to, to treat ourselves with the same grace uh, or treat our interns with the same grace as we would treat ourselves saying like, I'm learning this too. And so it's okay if you fumble as you do it. Um, but one other thing I would add is I've been thinking a bit about how it's important to make sure we don't ascribe value judgments to how people use these technologies because we have less of a, less of an experience knowing them as a person in person next to us, someone we get coffee with or have lunch with. And so people chat differently than they talk or they like are more or less comfortable on video than they are just standing in a room in person. And so we've had a couple examples this summer where um, there's been a disconnect with how an employer expects that a fellow or intern is using technology, what level of formality, what level of engagement, what level of uh, like how often they are or are not online. And the fellow, when we check in with them about what's going on, will often say like, I really was trying to do the thing I was supposed to do. I just got it wrong because it was new to me. And so how do we make sure that we're not, that we're like checking in on those things when they come up. So saying, hey, I noticed that you weren't online this morning. This is one of our expectations is that folks leave the Slack channel up in the morning and leave it open all day and are accessible that way. Or it's a norm up for us that we use video during a Zoom call. And so we'd ask that you have your video on rather than thinking that person doesn't have their video on, they're probably distracted or what are they hiding or they're not really engaged. But really checking ourselves with those judgments and trying to assume everyone's a beginner and learning it for the first time. It's so funny you bring that up because it is something new that we haven't uh, experienced before. And so these are even just even more considerations that managers, employers, interns, candidates have to think about now uh, when it comes to approaching an experience like this. So if you asked me four months ago, if this is something I'd be thinking about, I would, I would have absolutely not thought about this before. And so, just more things to think about as uh, you, you consider a future remote experience for sure. Uh, so uh, on the topic of that, uh, when we think about our next topic, I wanna really get to talking about like the life cycle of someone who's remote um, as an employee. 
We're going to touch on some just really interesting and unique ways that both an intern, for example, and an employer can make the most of their experience at each stage of that, of that life cycle. So first, let's talk about finding a remote internship. Um, Troy, I'm going to lean on you for this since this is something that you've experienced pretty recently. And then, Troy, you've also guided a lot of fellows in this process, too. So um, first, Troy, let's, let's, let's talk to you about, you know, where do you suggest students look? Because you mentioned Indeed, for sure, but um, let's talk about that a little bit further and maybe some other places, too. Amazing. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so my, my experience was completely remote. Um, and ultimately, I, I suggest students kind of have a resume ready. First and foremost, I think that um, that is such an under look step. But um, if you can look for resources um, within your area to find like how you can build a resume or what some of those like different areas are that you should be adding and different things that you should be adding to your resume, I think that's super important. And then once you have that ready, I think that you can start looking. And I think this, there's so many different avenues you can take. Mine personally was just Indeed, but you can look for on Handshake. I know that's a big um, thing between colleges and um, and employers right now. Um, but there's also things like LinkedIn. Like look for connections on LinkedIn. Do you have a, a fellow um, a fellow student, like your friend that has like a connection or something? Look out, reach out to them and see if they have any connection with the company that you're looking for. Um, there's really no right way to find a company. There's only a wrong one, and that's to not search at all. So. Such a good point. And I know that that process can be a little daunting for someone who's never had to look for an internship before. For me, if you asked me what an internship was and how to apply for it, I also would have had no idea when I was in college. I was just trying to survive. But that's why I'm also really happy that uh, organizations like Hack Diversity that Tori is a part of also support students in this journey too. So Tori, how do you think students should find organizations like Hack Diversity? Like, How do they know that these exist and how they can help? It's a great question. It's a little bit of chicken and the egg, I think, because one of the places that we feel like we do quite a bit of um, great marketing engagement with employers and kind of sharing our brand is LinkedIn, but we're also a professional development program and part of professional development is teaching folks to get comfortable with LinkedIn. So we try to reach people in all sorts of places where they are uh, through social media, through their communities. But I think that if you, I mean, we work specifically in tech. So I honestly would say as simple as women in tech, uh, there's a new, a new platform taking hold. Black Tech Twitter uh, is a hashtag that you can look up, which finds a whole community of folks in, in tech who are black, who are looking to connect with each other. Uh, there are all sorts of organizations based on affinity. And so I think if you know yourself, you wanna find people like you from your area in your field, start with those search terms. It seems so silly, but that really is a great way to figure out who's around me and like me that might have connections into industries or fields uh, or employers that I'm interested in. And then I think for programs specifically, there are so many new ones kind of popping up, so many great support channels. I think I try to think back to when I was in school. And like you said, Vinny, I was this, none of this was on my radar. At all. <laughs> so I think using, I mean, I hate saying this because I would like cringe if someone gave me this advice in college, but the career offices really are super plugged into all these new organizations because as one of the folks on the other side at these organizations, I'm reaching out to career offices saying, how can I reach your students? So when I was at school like that, I was like, yawn, I'm never going to do that. That's not going to help me. Uh, but now here I am telling folks that that's a good avenue. Um, but I think social channels now have really started to have so much more kind of micro communities of finding those things. So while there is that kind of traditional path of 
using a career center. Activersity specifically works with folks from a lot of different talent sources. So people who aren't in school, people who are self-taught or coming from boot camps. Um, so with that in mind, I would also say leverage your own communities and ask around and try to search for the things that you want to do. We get a lot of folks at Hack who say like, I can't believe I found something like this. I can't believe this sort of program exists. And so really as a, as a prospective intern, I would say like open your mind to what might be out there. There might be more out there that is really aligned with that one little thing that you think is really cool, but don't think that there are other people like you. Chances are there are. And so being open to finding that is a great option. Retweet, as Troy said, <laughs> that is amazing. And I wish I had that advice as well, because when I remember applying for an internship, I was, like I mentioned, I just didn't know what questions to ask. And in, in fact, it kind of reminds me that I had to be a little bit vulnerable back then. I had to be willing to say, hey, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to look for. And so I think that's a really great first thing to really reflect on is, you know, being open to asking those questions. Because I think you mentioned, Tori, that your local communities are a great place to start. Um, and that that can be either just right outside your window or even just a close friend or family and just being able to say, hey, I, I actually don't know what I'm doing <laughs> when it comes to looking for an internship. Like, what are some uh, places I can look at or some people or who are some people I should connect with, things like that. So uh, I like that you called out that a lot of resources are at your disposal um, and, and closer than you think. Uh, so a lot of different places, which is great to have nowadays. Uh, so once you find that place to figure out where to look for internships and opportunities, Let's now just talk about like what kinds of things should you look for because working in a remote environment versus working in person is now, as we've learned, a very different experience. So knowing what we know now, what do you think are some things that students and candidates should be looking for, um, particularly in a remote internship versus an in-person opportunity? Yeah, I think this question is a little difficult for me because I was never truly looking for a remote internship. However, now that it's <laughs> However, now that it's turned into one, I've learned so much that I might not have in person. And so I'm truly grateful to be here at HubSpot. But I would say like my, my biggest, my biggest um, advice for any, anyone looking for an internship is to look for culture. Uh, make sure that the company matches your values and don't settle until it does. Um, I can say this really rang true for HubSpot. HubSpot just has the culture I was looking for. And that part never got diluted in the transition to remote and I'm so thankful for it. But really find what you're looking for for a company and search for that. And there's things, and it'll stand out to you. Once you find a company that really stands for your values and matches those, it'll stand out and apply for it um, and do your best. And I think that that is some of the, the best advice I can give. Yeah, I would, add, I would add to that, do a bit of a self audit, figure out what you're looking for in an environment. So we partner with organizations like HubSpot that have culture teams who are dedicated to making sure that culture exists in a thoughtful and intentional way, which is so cool. We also partner with companies who are like just getting their early rounds of funding and bringing people on really quickly and need them to jump in and just get to work and dig into the projects that they're doing pretty autonomously. So if you know that you have tons of experience in an area and you just want to start doing then that is something you want to look for. You want to be asking in your interview search or as you do your research or in informational interviews, how much work should I expect to produce by the end of this? Will I be deploying code myself? Will I be working on something like uh, to help out or will I actually have a project of my own? Asking those questions helps to frame the experience. And if you're super, super new to an environment or an industry and getting in for the first time, then looking for an organization that has more of the support built in 
or has been hosting interns for many years and has an internship program built out, those support structures can have a huge impact on what your experience feels like. And I think one is not better than the other. An organization can't, we can't expect all organizations to have it built out in an extremely robust way. But I do wanna like encourage candidates to make sure they're thinking of those things as they do their own research because those little nuances will have a bigger impact on your experience than something like the job title or the description that you get because those things all sort of change and are in flux and only hold so much meaning. But what an organization feels like and how it supports interns and, and what they expect those folks to do will really drive your day-to-day -day experience. I love that. I think those are just both both things that you both spoke about are so important to realize now because the future of work nowadays might be remote. Uh, we've learned that some companies and some communities can actually be very productive remotely. And so remote might be here to stay. And so it's really great to just understand that distinction and what things you should be looking for from the get-go. And I'm also going to echo some of the things we spoke about earlier, which was uh, how uh, we have structures around communication technology too, because those are also equally as important, um, which is awesome. And so uh, one other topic here before we move on to our next uh, part of our dialogue here is uh, when we think about connecting to students uh, from underrepresented backgrounds, from non-traditional backgrounds, I think that's something that's uh, a hot topic because a lot of times companies, employers will look for students of the same profile year after year, um, which ultimately creates this sense of like homogeneity where it's just the same school of thought, the same patterns that we think about. And so how do we think uh, employers uh, should connect to these types of students and vice versa? How do these uh, students find employers this way? Uh, what, do you, what do you think about those questions? Yep. There? there are so many things that I can say. So I'm gonna try to narrow my thoughts on this and, and by no means am I an expert. A couple of things that stand out to me are, uh, I read an article recently that was going around about making sure your recruiting teams reflect the talent you wanna bring in. So if you have an all white, all male recruiting team, it's gonna be really hard to entice a much more diverse candidate pool to feel good about coming to work in your organization. So that's one consideration I say as a white person recruiting diverse talent. So by no means are we gonna get these things perfect all the time, but that's one consideration. I would encourage employers to reconfigure their held understandings about what a path to employment is. So we work a lot at Hack Diversity to kind of undo the narrative that a four-year college is the only way to find your path to an entry-level job. So much of our talent are um, folks who are in associates, community college programs, folks who have taken some time off of school to be able to make money, support families, manage different situations. Uh, we have folks who come from boot camps. We have folks who have been out of school and are doing a transition back into a new field, all sorts of what we call talent sources, talent pathways. And I think when recruiting organizations focus heavily on four-year schools or what your major was, what you studied and what classes you took, those things really limit the scope of who you can bring in. Because if that's not applicable to everyone, that information doesn't matter. It just ends up weeding people out. So I had a conversation with an intern yesterday who is at a four-year program, but took some time off of school to re kind of figure out what she wanted to do with her career, ended up taking a boot camp because that was a more cost-effective way of getting the skills she wanted for the field she wanted to enter, returned to finish her degree, but over a much slower time while she was working and ultimately is not studying technology, though has boot camp experience that translates into her 
um, her workplace. And she was having a conversation with her manager recently where her manager said, typically folks who are going into the roles that you're looking to go into are computer science majors who have had three internships and who know this many languages and can do this many things. And the manager was speaking in four-year college terms. So that really narrowed. She, she basically left the meeting feeling like, does that mean I can't be successful? Because I can't go back mm. and get a four-year computer science degree. And so I worked with her to say, like, think about, try to ask your manager, what do they mean in terms of actual job requirements? What do they mean in terms of skills? How can they reframe that language to be less specific to the four-year college pathway and more about what skills and behaviors are needed to be successful in the work? And so that's one thing when you think about recruiting diverse candidates that I think is really important. Is the language you're using excluding groups of people? And if it is, how can you work with your team to reconfigure that language? And that's what programs like Hack and others try to do to support companies as they make those transitions, because it really is unlearning and it's hard and it takes time, but we think that that really does bring in a much wider pool of candidates. Yes, and ultimately it helps us as employers uh, really do better, really grow better, really serve the communities that we uh, are actually serving. Uh, and so I think that's, that's those are such great call outs. And uh, Troy, anything you'd want to add there in terms of just from your experience? Yeah, so I think my biggest advice to any student uh, looking to work for any employer is use this opportunity as a way to tell a story. Um, use your experiences and tell that story because ultimately every story is different. And if you can use your story to, to stand out, I think that that um, really shows among an employer. Um, and that's the big, then that advice comes from, it comes from the Career Center, honestly, at the University of Wyoming, my good friend, Jenny Hendrick, uh, she told me that. And so just use those opportunities like the cover letter or the interview process as a, your way to really show who you are and tell, tell that story. Yes, and we thank Jenny for that so much and yes, she's amazing yes and I love that that's something we're calling out as career centers a lot more because as an employer and a recruiter myself I am definitely much more in contact with career centers more so than ever before since students need them now more than ever so um, so I love that part piece I also love that we're talking about interviewing for a second because that storytelling piece is one of the most nerve-wracking parts of this process uh, it still makes me nervous to this day and I've already so far into my career that it still makes me nervous. So let's talk about interviewing for a second and how much of an intimidating, nerve-wracking experience that can be, um, and especially remotely because that just it just involves a whole lot more of, of of these like anxieties and a whole other set of butterflies that we didn't even expect. And so um, let's talk about that a little bit and the candidate experience a little bit further. Um, so Troy, let's start with you for a second because I would love to see like what was your process like at HubSpot and um, what really struck you as challenging interviewing remotely. Totally. Yes. So overall, um, the interview process was nerve wracking, but it should be a little bit challenging. And so I think that um, for me personally, a lot of it was new. And so just because I've never done a remote interview process before um, for HubSpot, it started out with the just a video recording where you had to submit video submissions. And I think that that um, was honestly the most nerve wracking for me. I think that because you never really, you don't get to review your submission before you send it off. And so that was a little, a little bit new to me, but. Um, you're also talking I, to nobody. Yeah, yeah, you're talking to just basically just the computer. And so it seems, it almost seems a little bit like inauthentic, but it's also a good way to um, kind of capture those, like those skills. And so my advice here with any remote internship pro or interview process is to take what's challenging 
and take it as an opportunity for growth. And so although you may not do so well with like your first remote in interview, that's okay. Like use this as an opportunity to grow. Use the skills you've already learned for in-person interviewing and transition those to remote because essentially you're just talking to a computer and you're going to do great. So don't, don't, uh, don't feel too nervous. And what about you, Tori? What, what have you seen in terms of like challenging for a lot of the fellows and candidates? Definitely. So we switched to remote probably a month before the interview process, which is very robust. All of our 75 fellows have at least three interviews. So if you do the math there, lots and lots and lots of interviews happening over the course of a couple of weeks. And the biggest thing that I would say about how to make a successful remote interviewing experience is for employers and recruiters to remember that there is a power imbalance, right? So the folks who are guiding these interviews, they really have the upper hand. They're the ones who are making difficult decisions. They're the ones who are uh, in charge of kind of the destiny of that candidate. And I think recruiters do an amazing job of being extremely friendly and approachable and, and great with taking questions and making folks feel welcome when they show up. So how do you shift that to virtual? How do you make that same feeling of being included and feeling welcome in that process? And some of the things that I think are critical to that are really naming what to expect. So saying this interview is going to be this many minutes long, it's gonna have a technical component or it's not, here's the technology we use and how to get it set up, here's what we expect in terms of using video or not using video, just hammering out those little details so that a candidate goes in without questions because candidates are so nervous about asking questions. So that's one thing that I think can really make the process smooth. But then on the same hand, I would also challenge the interns to come confident in asking the questions they need to get set up to show up as well as possible. So with remote interviewing, really thinking about all the things that happen before the interview, like doing a trial run to test how the technology works on your computer. I can't tell you how many times folks have been like, oh my God, I just never used WebEx before. I didn't expect them to use WebEx. I've only seen Zoom or I've only seen Google Hangouts or whatever the case may be. But doing a trial run, asking how the technology works on your computer, downloading it in advance, like getting all that stuff out of the way, but then we also told candidates to be really upfront with the folks interviewing them about their environment. So saying from the beginning, my Wi-Fi has had major challenges. Here's what's been happening and let me know if there's anything I can do to make it easier if that happens throughout the interview. Or I have a kid running around in the background. You might see them, you might hear them. That's my reality right now because if you put those things on the table up front, then I think nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 times, the person interviewing you is gonna be like, Totally got it. That's fine. Same here. I've had these same issues too. But if you don't say them, then I think what we find is that folks in the middle of the interview experience those things and then panic or they're so nervous about them that they can't show up really authentically. So I think laying the groundwork is probably the most important part of having a great remote interview experience. And I think that comes from both the folks conducting it and the interns themselves. Yes, snaps to that. Troy and I are snapping right now here on Zoom. And I think you could do a great call out in terms of how empathy and transparency are so crucial to the candidate experience. Empathy from the sense that uh, we're assuming that they haven't used this uh, technology before, that they haven't interviewed like this before. And so then how do we say transparently up front, here are some of the challenges you're going to run into, and here are the things that you can uh, use to help you overcome some of these barriers you're going to expect. Like really getting ahead of that, I think is so crucial to just neutralizing some of those fears. And uh, I know for us, it's uh, really paid off very much so because uh, when you remove those barriers, people can just be themselves and be able to tell their story as authentically as they can. Because um, as we know, just having barriers like technical barriers can, can be a big distraction, cause people to you know, not be on the top of their game, um, which is never the best feeling. Right. 
So a lot of great tips there. Uh, Troy, were you going to add something? Yeah, I was just going to say, going off of Tori's point, I think it's also important to kind of what we talked about before, overly communicate. I think that it really comes into uh, play here in the interview process as well. Um, for me personally, I, I got a, even a little bit of miscommunication too, and I didn't, under, I didn't know that um, the second stage of the interview was a phone call. And so I just thought it was like, oh yeah, we're just going to talk about like what's happening next, but it was more of actually an interview. So I didn't even know that. Um, but I was confident and I, and I rocked it, but um, just overly communicating. And I think that that can be challenging for both people's or both sides of the story as well. Um, and I think the biggest tip I have also for any, for any interviewer is to dress the part. I think that that's super important. So if you feel confident, you are going to be confident and you're going to do great. So um, just really make sure that you're not like wear the pants <laughs> don't just wear uh shorts not the business like, up front <laughs> yeah yeah wear wear a full suit if you have to like dress the part i love that so much it, it, like little things like that really play a difference to up your confidence for sure i know i i sometimes add a blazer when i want to feel extra uh you know beyonce in a way so um <laughs> that's for me personally uh but yeah, interviewing can be really nerve-wracking, and so I, I love that these are some things that we're talking about in terms of challenges and how to overcome them, and so that, for me, is always the toughest part, and then once you get through the interview process, then it's about, uh, for an intern, once you're hired, what's onboarding going to be like, and what's it going to be like once the first day is over? How are you going to enjoy your experience after day one and beyond? So um, let's talk about that uh, a little bit, because I, I would love to just talk about first the onboarding piece in terms of... Um, how to really get it right, because that first impression is really going to set the tone for the rest of the experience. And um, it's going to look different in a remote setting versus in, in the office in particular. So um, what do you think has been on the employer side? Like, what does it look like uh, for onboarding, um, Tori, that you've seen? Sure. I think I talked a bit earlier about some of the key pieces of having a really strong experience, the 30, 60, 90, setting up recurring one-to-one -one meetings. Um, helping to introduce folks to the expectations of their role. On top of those things, I think some things that are, are critically important is helping people understand the landscape. So who is who and how do I use them? Or how do I share with them what I'm working on? What is my role in this meeting? Am I expected to participate or am I just supposed to be quiet? And so making those things really well known, I think is critically important. And I think creating relationships outside of the management relationship is something that the manager can really take a hand at building into the onboarding process. So a lot of companies have buddy systems for new hires where they're matched with someone who serves as a peer mentor or someone who has a bit more experience but is closer in level or seniority as the person coming in. I think those efforts work really well. Introducing folks to affinity groups or ERGs at organizations that they might want to get involved in. Um, but I think the more you make an intern feel like you see them as part of your community, the more they will more quickly jump in and get going. I know we actually started the internships right at the moment where the racial justice movement going on right now was, was really getting very, very um, kind of powerful and prominent and especially in the workplace. And a lot of our fellows said to us that in those first weeks, seeing how their company handled that non-work stuff, that really human stuff, had so much to do with their successful onboarding more than any of the other specifics of their actual tech roles. So stuff like that and how a manager guides an employee to get involved or feel part of that 
is really crucial. And I know we had a couple of folks uh, at one company who are participating in a diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation about the current moment. And it was led by senior leadership and the fellows felt empowered and comfortable asking questions and engaging and sharing their opinions and perspectives. And that was such a like wonderful data point about successful onboarding to me. It's not just like, do they know their goals? Do they know their technology? But also how do you create an environment where they feel like they can engage like an employee, like someone who's been there for five years or 10 years? I think that's a, a kind of standard that we can hold ourselves to in onboarding to make sure that it's not just about getting the lay of the land to your point for day one, but also life beyond day one and, and what a future for them there would look like. That's, that's awesome. And Troy, I know you've literally been in the seat of uh, our onboarding experience and so at HubSpot. So what was it like to receive that much information in the short time that is onboarding? What, what was that like for you? Yes. First and foremost, I want to say a great job to the onboarding team at HubSpot because they transitioned the onboarding experience for interns in a matter of like a month to uh, fully remote. And so great job because I know that that's no easy task. But um, for me personally, it, it was a lot of information, but I think that really what students can do and what interns can do is really just give it your full attention and be there. Um, just really soak in the information, anything that like any resources they get, give you, um, put those on a tab like on your screen for later and look at them maybe later uh, or digest it in small bites. That way you can really um, take what's given to you. Um, don't be afraid to ask the questions uh, that are might be difficult or you might think that might not be okay to answer. Um, I think that that's really important. Take that leap of faith and uh, your fellow interns might even thank you because those might be questions that they had as well. Um, so really just make the most of the experience because it, it's only going to be a short period of time that of your internship. And so um, really just make the most of it. That's great. And uh, Tori, you spoke about this too, is uh, a really optimal uh, onboarding experience really anticipates some of those challenges that interns will experience on day one and beyond. And so I remember from uh, HubSpot's onboarding experience, we don't start the day with a session. We actually start off the day with a couple hours of just office hours with our IT team where you're opening your computer for the first time, logging onto our systems, getting access to Zoom, and having someone there to answer those questions if you get stuck, um, which is so important because even the tech piece, we mentioned that that's a big barrier uh, that can be really hard to overcome if it's just not working. <laughs> Um, and so I, I know that that's something that we anticipated really early on. And, um, and so that was a really great way to get ahead of that. And so the more we can do that as employers and, um, and, and companies in, in general, I think that's what helps uh, create that success a little bit more. And I would just like to add that you're probably going to have challenges in turns and it's going to be okay. Like, don't think it's the end of the world. For me personally, I lost, we had a freak summer snowstorm here in Wyoming on my first day of onboarding and my first day at HubSpot. And I lost all power and I had to use my personal hotspot for my Wi-Fi connection. So really just be adaptable and be creative in how you can uh, get to work and get things done because um, it's not the end all be all and it's going to be okay. I also love that concept of office hours for tech setup because I think something we hear so much from interns is I don't have access. I don't have access. I don't have access. My technology isn't up and running and I can't get into the systems I need to do my job. And that is the company's first impression, right? So you want to make a really great first impression for interns because that, that's how they're assessing you. That's how they're talking about working there to their friends. Like sometimes when we've worked at a company for more than six months or more than a year, we forget those first moments.
Welcome to the Culture Happens podcast, where we discuss the future of work and company culture. My name's Vinny, and I'm a campus recruiter on HubSpot's campus recruiting team, a team of recruiters that helps students get a start to their careers through internships, co-ops, and full-time opportunities at HubSpot. Today, we're going to talk about a new experience for all of us, which is remote internships. At HubSpot, our internship and co-op program is a key ingredient in how we deliver our mission of helping millions of organizations grow better. Interns and co-ops, for example, have the same opportunity to make an impact on our customers as our full-time employees do, which we're so excited by. For example, on the product and engineering team, interns and co-ops typically ship code to production within their very first week. So with that kind of autonomy, students have true ownership over core projects, and because of that, we value the perspectives and new skills that they bring to HubSpot. But admittedly, this year looked a bit different. Instead of first day activities of getting an office tour and having lunch with fellow interns and co-ops as you do, onboarding and meet and greets happened virtually. But luckily, HubSpot isn't a stranger to remote work. We have over 400 full-time remote employees, and as of early March, all 3,600 HubSpot employees have been required to work from home globally. And thanks to HubSpot's flexible culture, an amazing IT team, and collaboration tools like Zoom, Slack, Loom, and Confluence, we've been able to adapt to remote work pretty quickly especially with our first ever remote intern and co-op class. And so quick background on our class, HubSpot's summer 2020 class of interns and co-ops is about 90 students strong across our general administrative teams, product and engineering, marketing, sales, and people operations globally. And for us, we contacted students early on to let them know that we were moving forward with their internship and co-op program this summer and that they'd be fully remote while offices were closed. And based on our recent experience, there are some key differences both on the employer and intern slash co-op side to create a successful remote internship experience, which we're so excited to dive into. And for our conversation today, I'm lucky to be joined by two remarkable people, Troy Cassidy, an intern on our HubSpot's diversity, inclusion, and belonging team working from Wyoming, and Tori Goyette, senior community manager at Hack Diversity working from Boston. Welcome to you both to Culture Happens. And Troy, I think because you're right in front of me here, I wanted to see if we could start with you to have you introduce yourselves to our listeners uh, and tell us a little bit more about what you're studying um, and how you found HubSpot for your internship. Yeah, thank you for the warm welcome, Vinny. It's so great to be here. Um, I, my name is Troy Cassidy. I am studying uh, management and marketing at the University of Wyoming. Um, and I absolutely love it. But I wanted to kind of find an experience outside of Wyoming just so that way I could um, kind of expand my horizons a little bit and just see what other opportunities there are outside of Wyoming. And so I ultimately looked on the East Coast and I found HubSpot um, while searching, honestly, just Indeed. I found um, HubSpot and I applied and I'm so thankful that I um, got accepted and went forward with the interview because uh, it's seriously such a, a great company to work for and I am we can do cool things like this. So uh, thanks for having me. Troy, it's awesome to have you on the team, and the fact that you found us all the way from Wyoming, we're honored that you, we already put this cover us from so far. Uh, so happy to have you on the team. And Tori, I know that we've worked together in a lot of different capacities, so I would love for you to give our listeners some background on Hack Diversity in particular and your role there as well. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Tori Goyette, and my role with Hack Diversity is Senior Community Manager. And Hack Diversity is a talent provider program out of the New England Venture Capital Association. So our mission is to make Boston a more diverse and prosperous place. So specifically, we focus on bringing Black and Latinx technologists into the space for their first internships in tech. So we work with software engineers, data analysts, 
IT professionals and UX UI folks to help them with professional development, mentorship, and really just access into uh, the really flourishing Boston tech community. So we've been around for going into our fifth year of fellowship programming and HubSpot has been a great partner to us. Right now we have two fellows in the middle of their internships, one on the IT team and one in the software engineering. Both are very, very happy to be there this summer. Um, but specifically, my role is focused on the fellowship program itself. So I work with our 75 fellows to make sure that they feel well supported and are going through our programming and really driving towards being ready to start an internship in the summer. So they're up and running right now, and that's awesome. And prior to my time with Hack Diversity, I was at Year Up, which is another workforce development and job placement program. So this is roughly my, I think, sixth year of supporting folks into their first internship. So always very excited to talk about what it means to set someone up for success in an internship environment. Amazing. And you've worked with so many employers, too. So very excited to have your perspective here, too. So Troy and Tori, so happy to have you on today's conversation. And we've got a lot to talk about today. So why don't we jump in and first start with some of the basics uh, that we really need to consider for a successful remote experience, as this is the first of its kind that we've uh, had to see. So the first, for sure, is definitely communication. And the second is technology. And when we think about both of those things, they're both heavily relied on uh, when it comes to remote work. Um, and they're even more important for those who may not have worked in a professional setting before. So a lot of new territory to talk about here. So why don't we first uh, dive into communication? Because um, I know for us, uh, we're, we're thinking about communication in the sense of how do we set expectations between managers and interns and all the other nuances that come with that. And so, um, and we've got a lot of perspective here from Tori with your experience with employers and Troy as an intern working remotely as well. And so, um, Troy, why don't we first kind of throw it to you to talk about like, how is communication important for you in a setting like this? Yeah, I think communication is crucial, not only in person, but in a setting that's remote and virtual because you don't have those, those experiences and those um, communication patterns that you would in person. So just making sure that you utilize technology to, um, to communicate and to effectively um, come across like different ideas, different perspectives. Um, this can be anything just from day to day experiences for interns, but it can also be um, onboarding and how do you and how do you train employees. Um, it can be literally the whole experience has to be well communicated. And so just making sure that you utilize technology to do so, I think is super important. And if you're ever um, cautious or, or curious about like how much communication is important, I think overly communicating in a remote and virtual setting is um, necessary. And I don't think there is ever such a thing as too much communication. And Troy, when you think about your experience, you're based in Wyoming, while your manager directly is based out of Boston. And so what's that like? How often do you communicate? Like, do you communicate frequently? Maybe do you uh, communicate less? Like, what's that like? Yeah, totally. Great question. Um, honestly, we utilize Slack a lot. And so we communicate quite a bit. Um, we utilize Slack just for short messages, messages back and forth, or we'll, um, we have weekly one-on-ones where we'll talk about um, various projects that I'm working on and just catch up. We also have documents where we'll have all of the projects listed out and then we'll go through and like um, add those uh, different person um, of contacts that like who's doing what and what deadlines do I have. And so I think like I mentioned a little bit before, uh, overly communicating is super, super important. And I, I think that in a remote setting, um, especially coming from Wyoming, it's, it's, it's crucial. 
Especially because you're also in a different time zone from your manager too, which adds another barrier, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. And Tori, I know you work with a number of employers and also support managers at these employers too. So what's your experience when it comes to uh, how interns and managers communicate with each other? Absolutely. I would 100% echo Troy's comment about needing to kind of over-communicate or do more than you think is appropriate. One of the things I've been thinking about quite a bit as we've shifted to remote is how much of your communication in a new environment, when you're taking in so much data and so much information all the time, how much of that is nonverbal communication, just seeing and observing the things that happen around you and feeling the norms in a meeting and coming to understand what your office culture is like. So when you remove that, then there's this huge gap of how you learn information. And so for that reason, I think managers and employees need to be really thoughtful about saying, okay, I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to support my intern. I'm trying to be a great intern. And, and really stating those things and saying, what do you need from me? Am I meeting expectations? Or from the manager perspective saying, here are my expectations of you and what can I do to make sure that this is working? Uh, we talk a lot about making the implicit explicit. So some of the things in a workplace are often implicit norms that you just come to feel and experience over time. But when you're remote, there's this digital wall between you and some of those things don't flow quite as naturally or easily. So I think being aware of that both as an intern and as a manager helped to kind of drive increased conversation. And Troy mentioned this as well, but I think we at Hack are huge proponents of creating some really solid, usable take-home things for managers to feel well supported on uh, taking in a new intern. So one-to-ones, Troy mentioned, we are constantly hammering home with employers. Please make sure you prioritize these meetings. They're the easiest thing to cancel. It's someone you don't know very well. They're not going to be around very long, but it really is so critical to a successful experience that they're talking regularly. And then setting really clear goals. So communicating upfront, this is what success looks like over the course of this internship. Uh, Hack uses a 30-60-90 model, which I think a lot of companies are, are big fans of, but we talk a lot about how having really clear requirements help to make sure that an environment is really inclusive and allows an intern to know I can be myself, I can bring my personality, I can come from a different background because it is very clear to me on paper what is expected of me and required for success. But when those things aren't clearly outlined, you don't really know, am I allowed to talk like this? Am I allowed to have a conversation with my manager in an informal way? Am I allowed to go to these events? So I think communication is not only important in the like interpersonal sense, how you chat, but also in how you're writing down, documenting, and clarifying what the expectations and norms are throughout the process. A plus one to that, I essentially agree with your sentiment about supporting managers in particular, because as a first-time manager myself, my first ever direct report is actually uh, one of our current remote interns. And I will be very honest, I was very afraid about how I was going to interact with my intern because one, I'd never managed before, and two, are they going to feel supported? Are they going to feel connected to me? Are they going to feel comfortable talking to me because of the barriers that you mentioned? And so a lot of that was very key and uh, top of mind for me in terms of how do I make sure I'm not only communicating, but also creating an environment that's going to help them feel supported. And so a lot of that, we're saying some of the work is on the interim, but I think it's more so on managers in particular. Um, and so I love that that's a call out that you had. And for both you, Troy and Tori, when you think about managers supporting interns in a remote setting, uh, do you feel like it's a little bit different in a remote setting in that 
there's even more work involved nowadays or do we feel like it's about the same? Like what's kind of your perspective there? That's a great question. And I think it's so easy to think about an intern coming in as someone who can support and add value to the work that your team is doing. And so that dynamic creates this hope that an intern is coming in and helping you with work. And so you don't often as a manager think this is more work that I am taking on and for what purpose. But I think it's really, really important, especially in a remote environment for managers to thoughtfully assess within their teams do I, as a manager, have capacity to make this a great experience for an intern? Because it is work. And to your point, I do think it is more work in a remote environment because some of the things that we rely on, like being able to just sit next to someone at the desk and pull up some files for them or do something over someone's shoulder, have them shadow you as you're walking through something, those things take a lot more coordination or are not really possible. So that means you need to have all the files ready to share, you need thorough onboarding plans, you need to create space in your calendar for um, that kind of pair activities and helping them to meet more people in your organization. And so all that stuff ultimately does take time. And I like to think that the payout is really valuable. That if you put in that front end effort at the beginning of an internship to set up an intern for success, you end up, if not, creating someone who wants to ultimately stay and work on your team, at least someone who feels like they had a really great experience with that internship and would recommend the company to someone else or would speak favorably about that internship program, which can later build a really strong pipeline. So I do like to kind of coach managers that they should see it as at least as much their responsibility to create a great experience, if not more than the intern, but hopefully with some great payout at the end. Right. And I, I know that kind of sounds scary, putting a lot of work on managers, but I think what also is a great support to managers too, is having teams at their support as well. I know for us at HubSpot, had it not been for the collaboration of multiple teams, we wouldn't have, have had the ability to create the experience that we have right now and have people really thinking about what are the things we need to cover uh, to, yes, not only make sure managers are supported and have the resources they need, but that interns feel supported from a technology standpoint, from a culture standpoint, and even from the logistical things like uh, how do we handle tax implications for people working in different states, which is something I never thought we had to think about. So um, I think a lot of that collaboration really plays a role here, too, uh, so that managers don't have to feel the 100% uh, impact of this um, experience. So, uh, and Troy, you mentioned a little bit earlier about technology playing a role as well uh, into your experience. And as Tori, you mentioned uh, having someone next to you, it's really easy to just feel a part in, of a group and an environment when you just have someone next to you. But now that you're, now that we're all remote and all by our lonesomes, it's really hard to understand like what is the technology that we have uh, to help us stay connected. And I mentioned earlier that we had tools like Zoom, Loom, Slack that enable us to do that. But um, one of the things that we really tend to forget is that sometimes exposure to those tools is not very frequent. It's, it's sometimes an entrance first time using that type of technology. So um, what are our thoughts about how employers uh, should be teaching technology to interns and, um, and on the intern side, like how do we support them um, from that frame? Yeah, thanks, Vinny. That's a really great question. I think it's super important um, technology, obviously, like we mentioned for communication. And so really just acting like it's I think what's important is to act like it's the intern's first time using the technology. Um, I think for me personally, I've never used Slack before, before we came in. And so learning the ins and outs of Slack and the basics, I think that was super crucial for me just to get to get to know what um, communication patterns are like at HubSpot. And I think that's also been um, something that HubSpot's been continuing to grow as well, because from the sounds of it, 
um, Slack has kind of grown over time as we went remote just because um, we don't have those in-person communication patterns. <clears throat> but not even just Slack, it can be things like Zoom. Perhaps someone doesn't know how to jump on that first Zoom call. So providing a guide beforehand so that they can jump on the Zoom call to learn other technology or in forms of it, I think is super important. Just really providing all the resources available or making them available so that way the interns are prepared because you never truly know um, what backgrounds they come from or what um, kind of things they've learned before prior to this internship. Agreed. And I think the training and onboarding, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, really plays a role in setting that up very upfront. Um, but Tori, what are you seeing in terms of other companies uh, and employers and how do they approach technology here? Definitely. I think one of the things I'm observing that's such an interesting part of this move to remote is that the folks who are onboarding new talent are also learning how to use this technology full time because previously we all sort of used it as a supplement to our day to day work, not as entirely critical to our day to day work. So there's a little bit of a learning curve where folks are trying to onboard new interns or new hires and they themselves aren't yet experts in the tools because we're all figuring out Zoom. I, I honestly was laughing with my team this week because we finally got a response to our Zoom help questions that we posed in March, <laughs> in June. <laughs> so like there's a major lag. And if you can imagine, we're getting to know Zoom, asking them all these questions and then having to teach that to other people while we're still figuring it out. That's a real challenge. So I would echo everything Troy said and also just kind of taking it upon ourselves to be patient as we learn it and to, to treat ourselves with the same grace uh, or treat our interns with the same grace as we would treat ourselves saying like, I'm learning this too. And so it's okay if you fumble as you do it. Um, but one other thing I would add is I've been thinking a bit about how it's important to make sure we don't ascribe value judgments to how people use these technologies because we have less of a less of an experience knowing them as a person in person next to us, someone we get coffee with or have lunch with. And so people chat differently than they talk or they like are more or less comfortable on video than they are just standing in a room in person. And so we've had a couple of examples this summer where um, there's been a disconnect with how an employer expects that a fellow or intern is using technology, what level of formality, what level of engagement, what level of uh, like how often they are or are not online. And the fellow, when we check in with them about what's going on, will often say like, I really was trying to do the thing I was supposed to do. I just got it wrong because it was new to me. And so how do we make sure that we're not, that we're like checking in on those things when they come up. So saying, hey, I noticed that you weren't online this morning. This is one of our expectations is that folks leave the Slack channel up in the morning and leave it open all day and are accessible that way. Or it's a norm up for us that we use video during a Zoom call. And so we'd ask that you have your video on rather than thinking that person doesn't have their video on, they're probably distracted or what are they hiding or they're not really engaged, but really checking ourselves with those judgments and trying to assume everyone's a beginner and learning it for the first time. It's so funny you bring that up because it is something new that we haven't uh, experienced before. And so these are even just even more considerations that managers, employers, interns, candidates have to think about now uh, when it comes to approaching an experience like this. So if you asked me four months ago if this is something I'd be thinking about, I would, I would have absolutely not thought about this before. And so just more things to think about as uh, you, you consider a future remote experience for sure. Uh, so, uh, on the topic of that, uh, when we think about our next topic, I want to really get to talking about like the life cycle of someone who's remote um, as an employee. 
gonna touch on some just really interesting and unique ways that both an intern, for example, and an employer can make the most of their experience at each stage of that, of that life cycle. So first, let's talk about finding a remote internship. Um, Troy, I'm gonna lean on you for this since this is something that you've experienced pretty recently. And then Troy, you've also guided a lot of fellows in this process too. So um, first, Troy, let's, let's, let's talk to you about, you know, where do you suggest students look? Because you mentioned Indeed for sure, but um, let's talk about that a little bit further and maybe some other places too. Amazing, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so my, my experience was completely remote. Um, and ultimately, I, I suggest students kind of have a resume ready. First and foremost, I think that um, that is such an under look step. But um, if you can look for resources um, within your area to find like how you can build a resume or what some of those like different areas are that you should be adding and different things that you should be adding to your resume, I think that's super important. And then once you have that ready, I think that you can start looking. And I think this, there's so many different avenues you can take. Mine personally was just Indeed, but you can look for on Handshake. I know that's a big um, thing between colleges and um, and employers right now. Um, but there's also things like LinkedIn. Like, look for connections on LinkedIn. Do you have a, a fellow um, a fellow student, like your friend, that has like a connection or something? Look out, reach out to them, and see if they have any connection with the company that you're looking for. Um, there's really no right way to find a company. There's only a wrong one, and that's to not search at all. So. Such a good point. And I know that that process can be a little daunting for someone who's never had to look for an internship before. For me, if you asked me what an internship was and how to apply for it, I also would have had no idea when I was in college. I was just trying to survive. But that's why I'm also really happy that uh, organizations like Hack Diversity that Tori is a part of also support students in this journey too. So Tori, how do you think students should find organizations like Hack Diversity? Like, How do they know that these exist and how they can help? It's a great question. It's a little bit of chicken and the egg, I think, because one of the places that we feel like we do quite a bit of um, great marketing engagement with employers and kind of sharing our brand is LinkedIn, but we're also a professional development program and part of professional development is teaching folks to get comfortable with LinkedIn. So we try to reach people in all sorts of places where they are uh, through social media, through their communities. But I think that if you, I mean, we work specifically in tech. So I honestly would say as simple as women in tech, uh, there's a new, a new platform taking hold. Black Tech Twitter uh, is a hashtag that you can look up, which finds a whole community of folks in, in tech who are black, who are looking to connect with each other. Uh, there are all sorts of organizations based on affinity. And so I think if you know yourself, you want to find people like you from your area in your field, start with those search terms. It seems so silly, but that really is a great way to figure out who's around me and like me that might have connections into industries or fields uh, or employers that I'm interested in. And then I think for programs specifically, there are so many new ones kind of popping up, so many great support channels. I think I try to think back to when I was in school. And like you said, Vinny, I was this, none of this was on my radar. At all. <laughs> so I think using, I mean, I hate saying this because I would like cringe if someone gave me this advice in college, but the career offices really are super plugged into all these new organizations because as one of the folks on the other side at these organizations, I'm reaching out to career offices saying, how can I reach your students? So when I was at school like that, I was like, yawn, I'm never going to do that. That's not going to help me. Uh, but now here I am telling folks that that's a good avenue. Um, but I think social channels now have really started to have so much more kind of micro communities of finding those things. So 
while there is that kind of traditional path of using a career center, Hack Diversity specifically works with folks from a lot of different talent sources. So people who aren't in school, people who are self-taught or coming from boot camps. Um, so with that in mind, I would also say leverage your own communities and ask around and try to search for the things that you want to do. We get a lot of folks at Hack who say like, I can't believe I found something like this. I can't believe this sort of program exists. And so really as a, as a prospective intern, I would say like open your mind to what might be out there. There might be more out there that is really aligned with that one little thing that you think is really cool, but don't think that there are other people like you. Chances are there are. And so being open to finding that is a great option. Retweet as Troy said, <laughs> that is amazing. And I wish I had that advice as well, because when I remember applying for an internship, I was, like I mentioned, I just didn't know what questions to ask. And in, in fact, it kind of reminds me that I had to be a little bit vulnerable back then. I had to be willing to say, hey, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to look for. And so I think that's a really great first thing to really reflect on is, you know, being open to asking those questions. Because I think you mentioned, Tori, that your local communities are a great place to start. Um, and that that can be either just right outside your window or even just a close friend or family and just being able to say, hey, I, I actually don't know what I'm doing <laughs> when it comes to looking for an internship. Like, what are some uh, places I can look at or some people or who are some people I should connect with, things like that. So uh, I like that you called out that a lot of resources are at your disposal um, and, and closer than you think. Uh, so a lot of different places, which is great to have nowadays. Uh, so once you find that place to figure out where to look for internships and opportunities, Let's now just talk about like what kinds of things should you look for because working in a remote environment versus working in person is now, as we've learned, a very different experience. So knowing what we know now, what do you think are some things that students and candidates should be looking for, um, particularly in a remote internship versus an in-person opportunity? Yeah, I think this question is a little difficult for me because I was never truly looking for a remote internship. However, now that it's <laughs> However, now that it's turned into one, I've learned so much that I might not have in person. And so I'm truly grateful to be here at HubSpot. But I would say like my, my biggest, my biggest um, advice for any, anyone looking for an internship is to look for culture. Uh, make sure that the company matches your values and don't settle until it does. Um, I can say this really rang true for HubSpot. HubSpot just has the culture I was looking for. And that part never got diluted in the transition to remote and I'm so thankful for it. But really find what you're looking for for a company and search for that. And there's things, and it'll stand out to you. Once you find a company that really stands for your values and matches those, it'll stand out and apply for it um, and do your best. And I think that that is some of the, the best advice I can give. Yeah, I would, add, I would add to that, do a bit of a self audit, figure out what you're looking for in an environment. So we partner with organizations like HubSpot that have culture teams who are dedicated to making sure that culture exists in a thoughtful and intentional way, which is so cool. We also partner with companies who are like just getting their early rounds of funding and bringing people on really quickly and need them to jump in and just get to work and dig into the projects that they're doing pretty autonomously. So if you know that you have tons of experience in an area and you just want to start doing then that is something you want to look for. You want to be asking in your interview search or as you do your research or in informational interviews, how much work should I expect to produce by the end of this? Will I be deploying code myself? Will I be working on something like uh, to help out or will I actually have a project of my own? Asking those questions helps to frame the experience. And if you're super, super new to an environment or an industry and getting in for the first time, then looking for an organization that has more of the support built in 
or has been hosting interns for many years and has an internship program built out, those support structures can have a huge impact on what your experience feels like. And I think one is not better than the other. An organization can't, we can't expect all organizations to have it built out in an extremely robust way. But I do want to like encourage candidates to make sure they're thinking of those things as they do their own research, because those little nuances will have a bigger impact on your experience than something like the job title or the description that you get, because those things all sort of change and are in flux and only hold so much meaning. But what an organization feels like and how it supports interns and, and what they expect those folks to do will really drive your day-to-day -day experience. I love that. I think those are just both both things that you both spoke about are so important to realize now because the future of work nowadays might be remote. Uh, we've learned that some companies and some communities can actually be very productive remotely. And so remote might be here to stay. And so it's really great to just understand that distinction and what things you should be looking for from the get-go. And I'm also going to echo some of the things we spoke about earlier, which was uh, how uh, we have structures around communication technology too, because those are also equally as important, um, which is awesome. And so uh, one other topic here before we move on to our next uh, part of our dialogue here is uh, when we think about connecting to students uh, from underrepresented backgrounds, from non-traditional backgrounds, I think that's something that's uh, a hot topic because a lot of times companies, employers will look for students of the same profile year after year, um, which ultimately creates this sense of like homogeneity where it's just the same school of thought, the same patterns that we think about. And so how do we think uh, employers uh, should connect to these types of students and vice versa. How do these uh, students find employers this way? Uh, what do you what do you think about those questions? Yep. There? there are so many things that I can say so I'm gonna try to narrow my thoughts on this and and by no means am I an expert. A couple of things that stand out to me are uh, I read an article recently that was going around about making sure your recruiting teams reflect the talent you want to bring in. So if you have an all-white, all-male recruiting team, it's going to be really hard to entice a much more diverse candidate pool to feel good about coming to work in your organization. So that's one consideration, I say, as a white person recruiting diverse talent. So by no means are we going to get these things perfect all the time, but that's one consideration. I would encourage employers to reconfigure their held understandings about what a path to employment is. So we work a lot at Hack Diversity to kind of undo the narrative that a four-year college is the only way to find your path to an entry-level job. So much of our talent are um, folks who are in associates, community college programs, folks who have taken some time off of school to be able to make money, support families, manage different situations. Uh, we have folks who come from boot camps. We have folks who have been out of school and are doing a transition back into a new field, all sorts of what we call talent sources, talent pathways. And I think when recruiting organizations focus heavily on four-year schools or what your major was, what you studied and what classes you took, those things really limit the scope of who you can bring in. Because if that's not applicable to everyone, that information doesn't matter. It just ends up weeding people out. So I had a conversation with an intern yesterday who is at a four-year program, but took some time off of school to re kind of figure out what she wanted to do with her career, ended up taking a boot camp because that was a more cost-effective way of getting the skills she wanted for the field she wanted to enter, returned to finish her degree, but over a much slower time while she was working and ultimately is not studying technology, though has boot camp experience that translates into her 
um, her workplace. And she was having a conversation with her manager recently where her manager said, typically folks who are going into the roles that you're looking to go into are computer science majors who have had three internships and who know this many languages and can do this many things. And the manager was speaking in four-year college terms. So that really narrowed, she, she basically left the meeting feeling like, does that mean I can't be successful? Because I can't go back mm. and get a four-year computer science degree. And so I worked with her to say like, think about, try to ask your manager, what do they mean in terms of actual job requirements? What do they mean in terms of skills? How can they reframe that language to be less specific to the four-year college pathway and more about what skills and behaviors are needed to be successful in the work? And so that's one thing when you think about recruiting diverse candidates that I think is really important. Is the language you're using excluding groups of people? And if it is, how can you work with your team to reconfigure that language? And that's what programs like Hack and others try to do to support companies as they make those transitions, because it really is unlearning and it's hard and it takes time, but we think that that really does bring in a much wider pool of candidates. Yes, and ultimately it helps us as employers uh, really do better, really grow better, really serve the communities that we uh, are actually serving. Uh, and so I think that's, that's those are such great call-outs. And uh, Troy, anything you'd want to add there in terms of just from your experience? Yeah, so I think my biggest advice to any student uh, looking to work for any employer is use this opportunity as a way to tell a story. Um, use your experiences and tell that story because ultimately every story is different. And if you can use your story to, to stand out, I think that that um, really shows among an employer. Um, and that's the big, then that advice comes from, it comes from the Career Center, honestly, at the University of Wyoming. My good friend, Jenny Hendrick, uh, she told me that. And so just use those opportunities like the cover letter or the interview process as a, your way to really show who you are and tell, tell that story. Yes, and we thank Jenny for that so much and yes, she's amazing yes and I love that that's something we're calling out as career centers a lot more because as an employer and a recruiter myself I am definitely much more in contact with career centers more so than ever before since students need them now more than ever so um, so I love that part piece I also love that we're talking about interviewing for a second because that storytelling piece is one of the most nerve-wracking parts of this process. Uh, it still makes me nervous to this day, and I'm already so far into my career that it still makes me nervous. So let's talk about interviewing for a second and how much of an intimidating, nerve-wracking experience that can be, um, and especially remotely, because that just it just involves a whole lot more of, of, of these like anxieties and a whole other set of butterflies that we didn't even expect. And so um, let's talk about that a little bit and that candidate experience a little bit further. Um, so Troy, let's start with you for a second, because I would love to see like what was your process like at HubSpot and um, what really struck you as challenging entering remotely? Totally, yes. So overall, um, the interview process was nerve wracking, but it should be a little bit challenging. And so I think that um, for me personally, a lot of it was new. And so just because I've never done a remote interview process before, um, for HubSpot, it started out with the, just a video recording where you had to submit video submissions. And I think that that um, was honestly the most nerve wracking for me. I think that because you never really, you don't get to review your submission before you send it off. And so that was a little, a little bit new to me, but. Um, you're also talking I, to nobody. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking to just basically just the computer. And so it seems, it almost seems a little bit like inauthentic, but it's also a good way to um, kind of capture those, like those skills. And so my advice here with any remote internship pro or interview process is to take what's challenging 
and take it as an opportunity for growth. And so although you may not do so well with like your first remote in interview, that's okay. Like use this as an opportunity to grow. Use the skills you've already learned for in-person interviewing and transition those to remote because essentially you're just talking to a computer and you're gonna do great. So don't, don't, uh, don't feel too nervous. And what about you, Tori? What, what have you seen in terms of like challenging for a lot of the fellows and candidates? Definitely. So we switched to remote probably a month before the interview process, which is very robust. All of our 75 fellows have at least three interviews. So if you do the math there, lots and lots and lots of interviews happening over the course of a couple of weeks. And the biggest thing that I would say about how to make a successful remote interviewing experience is for employers and recruiters to remember that there is a power imbalance, right? So the folks who are guiding these interviews, they really have the upper hand. They're the ones who are making difficult decisions. They're the ones who are uh, in charge of kind of the destiny of that candidate. And I think recruiters do an amazing job of being extremely friendly and approachable and, and great with taking questions and making folks feel welcome when they show up. So how do you shift that to virtual? How do you make that same feeling of being included and feeling welcome in that process? And some of the things that I think are critical to that are really naming what to expect. So saying this interview is going to be this many minutes long, it's gonna have a technical component or it's not, here's the technology we use and how to get it set up, here's what we expect in terms of using video or not using video, just hammering out those little details so that a candidate goes in without questions because candidates are so nervous about asking questions. So that's one thing that I think can really make the process smooth. But then on the same hand, I would also challenge the interns to come confident in asking the questions they need to get set up to show up as well as possible. So with remote interviewing, really thinking about all the things that happen before the interview, like doing a trial run to test how the technology works on your computer. I can't tell you how many times folks have been like, oh my God, I just never used WebEx before. I didn't expect them to use WebEx. I've only seen Zoom or I've only seen Google Hangouts or whatever the case may be. But doing a trial run, asking how the technology works on your computer, downloading it in advance, like getting all that stuff out of the way, but then we also told candidates to be really upfront with the folks interviewing them about their environment. So saying from the beginning, my Wi-Fi has had major challenges. Here's what's been happening and let me know if there's anything I can do to make it easier if that happens throughout the interview. Or I have a kid running around in the background. You might see them, you might hear them. That's my reality right now because if you put those things on the table up front, then I think nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 times, the person interviewing you is gonna be like, Totally got it. That's fine. Same here. I've had these same issues too. But if you don't say them, then I think what we find is that folks in the middle of the interview experience those things and then panic or they're so nervous about them that they can't show up really authentically. So I think laying the groundwork is probably the most important part of having a great remote interview experience. And I think that comes from both the folks conducting it and the interns themselves. Yes, snaps to that. Troy and I are snapping right now here on Zoom, and I think you could do a great call out in terms of how empathy and transparency are so crucial to the candidate experience. Empathy from the sense that uh, we're assuming that they haven't used this uh, technology before, that they haven't interviewed like this before. And so then how do we say transparently up front, here are some of the challenges you're going to run into, and here are the things that you can uh, use to help you overcome some of these barriers you're going to expect. Like really getting ahead of that, I think is so crucial to just neutralizing some of those fears. And uh, I know for us, it's uh, really paid off very much so because uh, when you remove those barriers, people can just be themselves and be able to tell their story as authentically as they can. Because um, as we know, just having barriers like technical barriers can, can be a big distraction, cause people to you know, not be on the top of their game, um, which is never the best feeling. 
right? So a lot of great tips there. Uh, Troy, were you going to add something? Yeah, I was just going to say, going off of Tori's point, I think it's also important to kind of what we talked about before, overly communicate. I think that it really comes into uh, play here in the interview process as well. Um, for me personally, I, I got a, even a little bit of miscommunication too, and I didn't, under, I didn't know that uh, the second stage of the interview was a phone call. And so I just thought it was like, oh yeah, we're just gonna talk about like what's happening next, but it was more of actually an interview. So I didn't even know that. Um, but I was confident and I, and I rocked it, but um, just overly communicating. And I think that that can be challenging for both people's or both sides of the story as well. Um, and I think the biggest tip I have also for any, for any interviewer is to dress the part. I think that that's super important. So if you feel confident, you are going to be confident and you're going to do great. So uh, just really make sure that you're not like wear the pants. <laughs> Don't just wear uh, shorts. Not the business like, up front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wear, wear a full suit if you have to like dress the part. I love that so much. It, it, like little things like that really play a difference to up your confidence for sure. I know I, I sometimes add a blazer when I want to feel extra, uh, you know, Beyonce in a way. So um, <laughs> that's for me personally. Uh, but yeah, interviewing can be really nerve wracking. And so I, I love that these are some things that we're talking about in terms of challenges and how to overcome them. And so that for me is always the toughest part. And then once you get to the interview process, then it's about uh, for an intern, once you're hired, what's onboarding going to be like? And what's it going to be like once the first day is over? How are you going to enjoy your experience after day one and beyond? So um, let's talk about that uh, a little bit, because I, I would love to just talk about first the onboarding piece in terms of um, how to really get it right, because that first impression is really going to set the tone for the rest of the experience. And um, it's going to look different in a remote setting versus in, in the office in particular. So. Um, what do you think has been on the employer side? Like, what does it look like uh, for onboarding, um, Tori, that you've seen? Sure. I think I talked a bit earlier about some of the key pieces of having a really strong experience, the 30, 60, 90, setting up recurring one-to-one -one meetings, um, helping to introduce folks to the expectations of their role. On top of those things, I think some things that are, are critically important is helping people understand the landscape. So who is who and how do I use them? Or how do I share with them what I'm working on? What is my role in this meeting? Am I expected to participate or am I just supposed to be quiet? And so making those things really well known, I think is critically important. And I think creating relationships outside of the management relationship is something that the manager can really take a hand at building into the onboarding process. So a lot of companies have buddy systems for new hires where they're matched with someone who serves as a peer mentor or someone who has a bit more experience but is closer in level or seniority as the person coming in. I think those efforts work really well. Introducing folks to affinity groups or ERGs at organizations that they might want to get involved in. Um, but I think the more you make an intern feel like you see them as part of your community, the more they will more quickly jump in and get going. I know we actually started the internships right at the moment where the racial justice movement going on right now was, was really getting very, very um, kind of powerful and prominent and especially in the workplace. And a lot of our fellows said to us that in those first weeks, seeing how their company handled that non-work stuff, that really human stuff, had so much to do with their successful onboarding more than any of the other specifics of their actual tech roles. So stuff like that and how a manager guides an employee to get involved or feel part of that 
is really crucial. And I know we had a couple of folks uh, at one company who are participating in a diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation about the current moment. And it was led by senior leadership. And the fellows felt empowered and comfortable asking questions and engaging and sharing their opinions and perspectives. And that was such a like wonderful data point about successful onboarding to me. It's not just like, do they know their goals? Do they know their technology? But also, how do you create an environment where they feel like they can engage like an employee, like someone who's been there for five years or 10 years? I think that's a, a kind of standard that we can hold ourselves to in onboarding to make sure that it's not just about getting the lay of the land to your point for day one, but also life beyond day one and, and what a future for them there would look like. That's, that's awesome. And Troy, I know you've literally been in the seat of uh, our onboarding experience and so at HubSpot. So what was it like to receive that much information in the short time that is onboarding? What, what was that like for you? Yes. First and foremost, I want to say a great job to the onboarding team at HubSpot because they transitioned the onboarding experience for interns in a matter of like a month to uh, fully remote. And so great job because I know that that's no easy task. But um, for me personally, it, it was a lot of information, but I think that really what students can do and what interns can do is really just give it your full attention and be there. Um, just really soak in the information, anything that like any resources they get, give you, um, put those on a tab like on your screen for later and look at them maybe later uh, or digest it in small bites. That way you can really um, take what's given to you. Um, don't be afraid to ask the questions uh, that are might be difficult or you might think that might not be okay to answer. Um, I think that that's really important. Take that leap of faith and uh, your fellow interns might even thank you because those might be questions that they had as well. Um, so really just make the most of the experience because it, it's only going to be a short period of time that of your internship. And so um, really just make the most of it. That's great. And uh, Tori, you spoke about this too, is uh, a really optimal uh, onboarding experience really anticipates some of those challenges that interns will experience on day one and beyond. And so I remember from uh, HubSpot's onboarding experience, we don't start today with a session. We actually start off the day with a couple hours of just office hours with our IT team where you're opening your computer for the first time, logging onto our systems, getting access to Zoom, and having someone there to answer those questions if you get stuck, um, which is so important because even the tech piece, we mentioned that that's a big barrier uh, that can be really hard to overcome if it's just not working. <laughs> Um, and so I, I know that that's something that we anticipated really early on. And, um, and so that was a really great way to get ahead of that. And so the more we can do that as employers and, um, and, and companies in, in general, I think that's what helps uh, create that success a little bit more. And I would just like to add that you're probably going to have challenges in turns and it's going to be okay. Like, don't think it's the end of the world. For me personally, I lost, we had a freak summer snowstorm here in Wyoming on my first day of onboarding and my first day at HubSpot. And I lost all power and I had to use my personal hotspot for my Wi-Fi connection. So really just be adaptable and be creative in how you can uh, get to work and get things done because um, it's not the end all be all and it's going to be okay. I also love that concept of office hours for tech setup because I think something we hear so much from interns is I don't have access. I don't have access. I don't have access. My technology isn't up and running and I can't get into the systems I need to do my job. And that is the company's first impression, right? So you want to make a really great first impression for interns because that, that's how they're assessing you. That's how they're talking about working there to their friends. Like sometimes when we've worked at a company for more than six months or more than a year, we forget those first moments. But in a really compressed short-term uh, contract or, or work engagement, 
those first hours, days, weeks, if you are blocked by technology, you're going to kind of use that to inform how you feel about the company. And the reality is those two things aren't like, they shouldn't have to be so interrelated, but in an internship experience, if you can't work for a week or two weeks because you can't get logged in, you really don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like you're part of the community and it feels like a small thing, but I do think that can carry a lot of weight in the experience. I wish our listeners could see us on video right now because we're all just screaming yes to everything. So <laughs> this is amazing. And, and I think, yes, that first impression is super important. So then once we create that first moment uh, from day one, how do we continue that uh, throughout the rest of their experience? And so uh, I think belonging and understanding your place in a company after day one is also equally as important, but it can be challenging too. And so I think as our last topic for our conversation today, I would love to just uh, understand, like, how do you think interns, should uh, like kind of be able to feel connected to their community, feel like they have their place, can speak up, can show their work, can make an impact? Like what are some ways that um, interns can really be successful and what can employers do too? Yeah, I think this is something we're honestly still kind of figuring out as HubSpot interns. Um, and I think it's, a, it's an ongoing process. But um, do things like, my advice is to do things that you would normally do in the office. So do things like lunches or coffee chats or trivia or just these things that like you can really build that um, that camaraderie among the interns just to feel like you're a, a cohort again because you still are and you still whether remote or not. Um, but also do things that you normally wouldn't do. Um, be creative. I normally wouldn't do in the office. Excuse me. Be creative. Um, so do those like things like online experiences, uh, Minecraft HubSpot servers like do take this as an opportunity to get creative and step outside of your, your comfort zone of in-person limitations. And really there are endless opportunities to really uh, get involved and connect. I love that. I would echo those sentiments. I think using Troy as an example, I recently learned that Troy taught a Zumba class to his team. And if there is ever a way to get involved as an intern, it is bringing something completely unrelated to your work into your team and into your environment. So if there's something you love, bring that, you know, figure out if there's a place for that. And I think often uh, teams are receptive and, and excited about that. I think from the manager perspective or the, the employer perspective, really drawing lines for, for showing folks how and when they can engage in some of those optional offerings. I think that's one of those unspoken implicit things that we sort of figure out as we go with our own plate and capacity management with our workloads. Like, if I'm an engineer, am I only supposed to be doing engineering? Am I allowed to go to the optional talk about this thing that I think is interesting? Or am I allowed to join a book club? I don't really know. So letting interns know really clearly, we'd like you to spend X amount of your, your work week focused on these tasks. And we really would like you to engage with some of these elements of our culture or environment for X amount of time or in this specific way. And then also inviting them along. So thinking about like, if a manager says to an intern, hey, I'd really like for you to join, I'm going to this like thing that our company is hosting, I think it would be cool if you came with me. Do you have the ability to do that? That will really set the tone for how an intern feels like they're able to engage. So taking that on and not expecting that the intern's making those decisions consciously without any guidance. I think oftentimes they're waiting for a bit of direction and you providing that direction can really help them see how you want them to get involved. Yes, plus one, like being able to initiate that from a manager and employer perspective, uh, I think is really huge to set that tone. And then something we learned at HubSpot too was um, 
trying not to be like the helicopter parents at the same time and allowing freedom uh, for interns to, to do what they want on their own with each other. So I think one thing that our team was really focused on was creating programming and uh, setting up times for interns to meet together um, and having them so formal. But I think we, had, we ended up having too much of that time where interns didn't feel like they could just be themselves on their own without the parents in the room. <laughs> and so I think allowing uh, interns to have the same access that our full-time employees do in terms of technology and allowing them to have separate Slack rooms, allowing them to set up their own happy hours and um, coffee chats, like allowing them to do that uh, allows them just to have that autonomy that we, we strive for them to have at HubSpot. And so that was a big learn from us that we didn't see coming, um, but it was so great that we were able to learn that. Yeah, I would also add to this piece, I think it's important that we recognize that folks might be coming in with different goals for what they get out of the experience. And some people might want to be participating in their workplace primarily to get the engineering experience. And that's the thing that they're most excited to focus on. So we talk a lot in our DEI sessions with employers about making sure that they don't say, I have a, a black or Latinx intern, I'm gonna make sure they go to the, the black at company group because that must be what they wanna do. We don't know that. Folks wanna engage with these things differently. They have different goals for what they get out. So I think also being open to, if they aren't choosing to engage in those things, having a conversation and saying, is this because this isn't what you're excited about? And if so, totally fine. Or is it because you don't feel welcome? And if so, let me figure out how I can find that for you. But not expecting that you have to jump into all pieces of the different culture offerings to be able to fit in. I love that. I wish we had a live Twitter feed right now because we would just be retweeting the whole time and just saying yes, plus one. Totally. Yeah, can we get emojis in the podcast somehow? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's super important, like from a team perspective, just to make, make your intern feel welcome. And I think this is something HubSpot has done wonderfully. Um, they took the intern and, or the remote experience as an opportunity. Uh, so my personally, my, a little story, my team, um, knew that I wasn't going to be coming to Boston. So they all bought Wyoming t-shirts to wear um, for our first DIMB meeting. And I think that simple things like that, although it might seem simple to you, it's like super, super meaningful to the intern. And I think that that's, that's really, that's really crucial. And it really means a lot. So just thinking of that. Yes, treating, remembering that people are humans at the end of the day. Uh, I remember seeing that on LinkedIn and Slack, and it just brought like so much joy, like, from so far so that was so awesome to see me too i, I was, was i don't know these people but i love this but now i I'm was speechless so then and still speechless now so <laughs> means so um, very much that's so great well, what a warm note to end on i think we've talked about so many great things from how to find an internship experience how to uh, really set interns and managers up for success and from their first day and beyond and i think we could keep talking for probably hours on end but i, I think this is a, a great place to start in terms of how we approach uh, remote internship experiences and how students and employers can get ready for them um so to you, to you both, Troy and Tori, uh, I thank you so much for just talking about this topic with us, uh, something that we're very passionate about. And uh, Troy in particular, we're lucky to have you at HubSpot this summer, all the way from Wyoming. And Tori, we're equally as lucky to be um, partners with you at Hackversity and to continue working with you. We're, like, we're so excited um, that we were both able to, or that all of us were able to chat today. And so um, thank you again for sharing your experience and your expertise. And um, as we navigate these experiences, uh, this is going to be really valuable for all of us. So, um, and also thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning into this episode of Culture Happens. Uh, so hope to catch on another episode of our podcast where we talk about all of the things related to the future of work and company culture. And uh, we will see you next time.